Welcome to The Entrepreneur's Doctor. My mission is to help you, the entrepreneur, to create a healthier, happier world. And I'm Beirouz, I'm a public health doctor, preventive medicine physician with over 20 years of international experience, having trained at Harvard and in Oxford, and I'm here for you. Look, I know the struggles you face and many startups either fail or struggle with adoption, access to resources, to people, to data, and then spreading across internationally and all the regulatory hurdles. I've created a checklist for you. If you'd like to learn more about something I call startup therapy, do go and check out my website. It's www.entrepreneurs.doctor and you'll get free access to this checklist. It's a prescription essentially to help you self-assess, to diagnose, treat, and better yet, to prevent some of the issues that you'll face when it comes to the health sector. I hope you find it of value. More importantly, enjoy the show. Alessandro Siari, welcome to the Entrepreneur's Doctor. Look, you you are actually one of my favorite New Yorkers, and we haven't known each other that long. But the more I've been speaking with you, and the way I see you work, it's just phenomenal. And uh, you're still, you know, right at the beginning, and you've got a grand plan. So we'll we'll get into that in a second. But as as I've mentioned in a number of uh, these episodes of the podcast. Um, I got to know you and a few other of my guests through the Solvathon event. So it's been, it's just been fruitful. That's all I can say. And we'll come on to all of that and what it's about in a second, but something's been intriguing me, Alessandro. And it's, it's something that I actually love about you. And it's the fact that your career started in film, music, theater, and uh, you know, what, where else would you do that? But New York city. So what led you here to what you're doing now? Yeah, of course. And thank you so much for having me. And of course, you are one of my favorite people from all <laughs> over the world, especially during this time of, of only being able to virtually connect. I don't know if I ever would have been able to meet you if it was, a, if it was otherwise. So it's a, it's a pleasure. Now, <laughs> coming from New York City, of course, it's certainly a place where you have so many artists that uh, are coming up, coming from uh, different families. So for an example, for myself, my father is a percussionist and my mother is a photographer. My sister is a graphic designer and a capoeira teacher. So I grew up with this type of environment around me that was completely based on creativity and sometimes logic and rationale just kind of went right out the window. And you just really tried to focus on experimentation and just finding yourself. And it was a wonderful environment to grow up in. And this is exactly the field that I went into right after high school, going straight into working into theater, film, um, in different fields around that, you know, and such. However, what that was able to do for me was really instill a great set of skills that I helped tr helped for me to transfer into the field of public health. And now how I was able to transfer that was, was really, really wonderful and something that other people can definitely do. Uh, how I was able to, to actually do that was go to college for the first time and really learn about these other types of health classes and health professions out there and it really exposed me to public health. So, but, but you told me that you got some of your inspiration from a famous artist, right, Dali and... Um... Of course, Salvador Dali is certainly yeah. one of the greatest inspirations for our entire family, really. And for somebody like him, he really was not just a painter. 
and that's some, some something that we all know about Dali. Uh, we think about the, the melting clocks and the melting faces and such, but really he was also a prolific writer. He was a, an amazing photographer. He was an amazing filmmaker. He was an, an incredible artist in, in so many different ways. Now, for me, I was able to really try to take on that understanding that theater, film, storytelling, all of these different types of abilities that go into that is something that can be of so much use to other industries. Now, somebody like Dali was able to work in public health, you know, maybe we could get some really creative ideas. But for what I was doing was that, you know, I was actually really focused on a particular aspect of health that's within uh, theater and film already, uh, which is Alexander Technique. And also another uh, type of practice out there is called Feldenkrais, where you really focus on your presence. Uh, and so that you really address any sorts of bodily or physical issues through that. And this is taught often to writers, pianists, cellists, actors, different people that are have very, very physically demanding jobs. And I was very interested in this field, went to college to learn more about it, tried to become more, an, more of an expert around anatomy, but then learned about public health and was able to be exposed to leaders in public health that really had a certain grand vision of the world that I had never really accessed before, that I never really understood before, being from the side of the artists. And these people in public health were able to bring me in, bring people from outside of their world in to really understand the goals of public health, which is based on a set of values that is unwaverable, that is really difficult to really put away because it is based in everything that's really important in our lives. That's based mm -hmm. on being healthy and being happy and how we're going to do that with the greatest impact possible. And so how could you possibly say no to that? How could you possibly be disinterested in that? It's just a matter of figuring out how I could be of service to this source, to this sort of community, to this sort of service, to this sort of set of values. And that's exactly what I was able to do through my storytelling abilities, through marketing, through communication. Now in public health, we often think about public health policy, sometimes education, but for me, it's what I was able to to really uh, get so much out of it and really bring my own skills to it is based on building a movement, building social movements. And that's a huge part in order to change health behavior in public health. And one of the most important ways to really create the most impact. That's really interesting. You know, um, personally, I think we share this, we come from this artistic family. Uh, you know, I've got cousins, my dad, my grandpa, musicians, artists, you know, storytellers, story writers, producers, that kind of stuff. So I get the feeling and I was probably the first one in, in at least my immediate family that went down this path of, of health. But actually public health is the one that allows the most creativity within the health sector, I would say. Um, and then if you want to take it that step further, it's public health and entrepreneurship. It gets even more creative. So I can see why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and I'm, I'm not good at this, I'll be honest with you, but um, if we could all, in public health especially, but also in entrepreneurship, if we could become better storytellers, that would help so much with creating movements, sharing messages, understanding what people are going through, all sorts of things. You, you, you know where I'm, where I'm coming from. But I guess um, 
I'm going to ask you a tough question, uh, Alessandro. And honestly, this is just personal opinion. And we haven't talked about this before, and it's okay. Whatever you say is not going to be a bad answer. But I would just love for you to step back in time for a second. Forget everything you know as a public health expert. You are the artist, you are the actor, you come from that heritage, you're getting your inspiration from, from Dali. Imagine you were Dali as a public health person dealing with COVID-19. I'm serious right now. We need to think outside the box because the vaccine will hopefully, hopefully save us. But are there any other creative things that you've seen that we could be doing these days? Now, when it comes to creative things that we're seeing being done out there today, there are so many different types of solutions that is focused on different aspects of COVID-19. Now, what we are typically thinking about right now is the infectious disease aspect of it. Yeah. But there are so many different parts of the ecosystem we are in that contributes to this result of COVID-19. And this comes from issues that comes from data surveillance. It comes from uh, poor agriculture, uh, poor uh, distribution of, of, uh, of, of livestock, of foods around the world. Uh, this is based on uh, prevention. Uh, it's based on uh, really ad addressing obesity and having uh, better nutrition in our societies. So I think for somebody like Dali, for example, who may not necessarily have that medical expertise to go, in, to go uh, rely on right away, what he's going to focus on is the social aspect. And there are so many things that we should be doing as a society that is going to help us prevent COVID or help us really deal with COVID in a much healthier manner if we were to become susceptible to it. And so what I would say Dali would end up doing would say, you know, look at all these other parts of your life. You know, stop being so narrowed down into everything that the media is, is telling you to do exactly. But look at all of these other aspects in your life that go into contributing to your best health and your own happiness. And during COVID-19, it's more important than ever. And like yourself, like you're saying, you know, you've, you're taking on an artistic endeavor during this time. And I think that's exactly what Dali would say to somebody instead of having to go straight into the the repetitive, narrowed down uh, thing that they do every single day of their lives. So what we have to do is really make sure to be creative, to mix things up. Yeah, I would say, yeah, completely agree with you, Alessandro, and great answer, actually. So when I was listening to you, I was thinking, um, just like, with, imagine, God forbid, we come down, and it happens to most, all of us at some point in our lives or someone we care about, we get struck with some sort of disease. It could be a terminal illness for, for and COVID is a bad disease that's affecting all of us. And the first thing to go is that sense of control, that sense of agency over you've got power to determine what is happening in your life any one day. And this is threatening all aspects of our life and, and existence really. And we really don't know what, what it's gonna look like. I'm hopeful, I'm really hopeful for things like the vaccine, better treatments and all sorts of other things. But at least from what you're telling me, it's about what can we as individuals, so people in policy and in, in, uh, healthcare and all sorts of other aspects of uh, the response to COVID are doing their thing and they're doing the best they can with 
with what's uh, available in the toolbox at the moment. But each of us individually beyond that um, thing that the message that is very important and we're doing anyway in terms of physical or social distancing and hand hygiene, that kind of stuff. It's what can we be doing to improve our chances really, improve our well-being? because it's not just us, it's those around us as well, our kids especially. Um, and I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but this is brewing up inside of me that I think this is a good venue to, to share it briefly. It's what can we do to have better control over our lives and look after our health and well-being along the way so that either we don't get it or if we do get it, we actually have better outcomes. But that step further is how can we come out of this as a version 2.0, 3.0 of ourselves where we're, you know, we're doing something that we're really passionate about and it's doing better for our overall existence because COVID obviously there's mental health impacts, there's physical health impacts and there's indirect ones and I, we won't go into that now but I don't know if you had anything to come back at me there before I ask you about your startup experience. Yeah so I think that one aspect to consider of public health is that if you were to look up the definition of public health on the computer it's not going to say oh, it's the, the policy aspect of health. It is actually the science and the art it of not. promoting health and really preventing out, uh, diseases and, and other poor outcomes out there. So we really have to look at this as something outside of only wearing a mask or only having to get tested. And these are things that we have to do all the time. But there's so many other things that go into our health, which is being physically active, which is having good nutrition, which is maintaining healthy relationships uh, with others in your life, especially during this time. And it also has to do with really adapting, adapting to the new world that we are in, the new type of technology that we have to use, the new type of communication that we have to really embark on nowadays. And I think that for, for a lot of people, this is something that is extremely difficult to do. And some people simply cannot do it. They just don't have uh, the means necessarily to. So if you are somebody who does, and you are somebody who is actually looking to improve their own health or looking to create some sort of change, there are so many people out there right now that need your support and you may not even know it. And, it's, and it could be simply as not saying, oh, you should go out and go for a jog. You should go out and have some food. It's a matter of just calling somebody. Yeah. It's a matter of not, not, not even just sending a text, giving somebody an actual just phone call and just talking to them randomly for half an hour. It's going to help you. It's going to help them. And I'm sure that we all have people in our lives that are facing really, really, really difficult circumstances. And if you're one of those people, you know, Call somebody else, you know, call somebody who is in a, in a better position right now, too, and, and just make sure that we're all connected, because uh, that's the best thing that we could all do for each other, even though it's going to be looking through a screen or even if it's just hearing you through a telephone. Alessandro, I hope you know this individually, but, um, but something that, you know, when I lived in Cyprus, so the typical Mediterranean culture, I loved it. It was still back in, like, the time where you could just knock on someone's door and just go for a drink or just stop by and honestly it's you can't do that anymore and it gets even worse now there was a point where you would just call someone and say hey how you doing now it's like 
can you talk? Can you, <laughs> you see, you have to have a certain appointment to talk to a friend. And I'm, come on, chill out. But you, you said something there, and I'll come back to your story in a second. I have to say this. When I was dealing with my dad's terminal illness, um, before that, I would be the same guy that, you know, I'm basically being a stereotype message right now, but I would see someone who's sick and I would say, oh, can I help you in any way? So I'd ask the question rather than do, just go and do something for them. I mean, you don't want to offend them. <laughs> Obviously, you want to check what kind of things that they need, but something as simple as just go get them some grocery, go get some shopping, get some food or drop it by the house or something. And same with COVID or any struggles that we're all dealing with, instead of asking are you okay do you need some help just go and do something if you can right anyways i want to get back to you because that's the you know you've got so much to share be before we get into what you're doing with firefly so right after you you graduated and i didn't ask you what your undergrad degree was in so please share that you then launched your own startup uh, what was that about yeah i launched my own startup that was focused on reusable takeout containers that oh. is aimed to eliminate takeout packaging. So if you were ever to get clamshells at your house from delivery or takeout, there's a system in place that has been used by different societies for decades to be able to deliver reusable takeout containers with food inside of it to people at work, to people at home. And these containers would go back to whoever prepared the food so that they would be rewashed and enter the cycle again, instead of a linear process where clamshells are given to people, they go into the garbage, and then they end up in a big pile and then potentially into the ocean or hopefully being recycled, which is a relatively very, very small amount in New York City especially. So this is, this is an amazing opportunity that's actually building up a lot nowadays. There are different sorts of operations, businesses, programs that are taking on this type of opportunity to address um, source reduction, to address solid waste. And uh, now you are seeing these types of, uh, this type of model being uh, implemented in different cafeterias, uh, in different restaurants, uh, in uh, different corporations uh, throughout the world right now. And in New York City is where I was completely focused. So I did undergrad in public health, but when I graduated, I realized, you know, I may not necessarily have the most impact in my life if I'm going to, or just through public health, really, if I'm going to be working for just a nonprofit or an NGO or working in politics or just working in academia. What I knew for myself at this particular moment is that I needed to go beyond that and be creative, further find myself in my own professional development, and also figure out what sort of actual solutions, creative solutions, interesting, innovative solutions are really going to address our problems in a sustainable and scalable way. And what I'm seeing in public health too often is that they're far too unsustainable and they're not even considering scalability. And part of the way to do that is by injecting, incorporating business models and bringing people from business into the work that you're doing that could create a public health impact. And that is how so much uh, success was able to come from this experience. And 
And then I went on to, to go back into a master's to do a master's in public health and really take that entrepreneurial experience and take it on to, um, to, uh, to bring it to Firefly Innovations. So I'll come back onto that. I just want to dig deeper a little bit. So typically you get people in the health sector who don't necessarily get any business training, any entrepreneurial skills training whatsoever, unless they go out and actively seek it. And then similarly, you've got people who are entrepreneurs, they have the, the qualifications or more importantly, the experience and the mindset uh, to be great at entrepreneurship or innovation in general, um, but they don't necessarily have the health expertise and they'll bring people on board in terms of advisors, but I, I still see and hear questions like, oh, can we have the data tomorrow? <laughs> they don't understand the issues that go into, or let alone, what does the data mean? A lot of health professionals still don't know what the data really means, uh, what goes into it. Anyway, we, I, that's for a separate discussion. I'm, I'm curious, what, first of all, you, your undergraduate versus your M master's in public health, what more did you learn? Did you need to go and do that postgraduate degree? Going into an MPH, there certainly was a repetition of certain ideas, uh, certain values, certain uh, tools, skills that you need to learn for the public health field. However, the really, really large difference in it is the, the population that I was working with, the, the community that I was learning with, and the type of teachers and professors, uh, researchers I was working with. So the first undergrad is Montclair State University in Jersey, talking about a suburban neighborhood. And you're also talking about Essex County, uh, which is very high in uh, diabetes, very high in cardiovascular rates, uh, cardiovascular disease rates. Mm -hmm. And my focus over there was actually to improve access to clean water. Uh, and this is in New Jersey where clean water access is still quite an issue. Uh, and you're talking about it in a community that is facing a lot of nutritional and poor health outcomes because of that. Uh, and then you look at New York City where I did my master's and we have some of the healthiest water you can have in the entire country. And it comes from very far away, but it's a very, very solid system uh, for us to make sure that we don't have these similar sorts of uh, reasons for our poor health, poor health outcomes uh, when comparing as Essex County, New Jersey to New York City. And so how are you going to think about improving these health uh, outcomes is going to be very different because the problems uh, are, are very different. And so water is maybe the, the most upstream of any sort of public health challenge. Ultimately, that's really how public health is founded as a science in the first place because of dirty water infecting a community. Now, for us in New York City, we're not looking at that. We're looking at uh, far more complex issues that have many, many different sorts of uh, sectors that are interconnected that are contributing to one sort of problem as opposed to just following the trail to where there is uh, dirty water or lack of water or something like that. And so one of the very important uh, courses people that I connected to was uh, Dr. Scott Radson, who is somebody who is a doctor. He's also somebody who worked for uh, Johnson & Johnson and is also somebody who works as a storyteller, specifically in 
making sure that people are going to be learning the best uh, health behavior skills and uh, whatever they need to do to be able to, to make the most of their health by making sure that they take vaccines. And he actually addresses this issue of vaccine hesitancy. Mm-hmm. And now this is a very large social issue that requires an artistic uh, solution a lot of the time to be able to change people's mindsets around a particular medicine, a particular health intervention. So Scott, is, Dr. Ratson, is somebody who has his hat in so many different sectors, so many different fields with various, uh, with a very wide skill set, who's able to be a connector, who's able to bring these different dots together in order to, re- to solve a very, very complex issue. And we need people like him to be able to solve this, uh, to solve many different public health challenges out there. And so for me, going into a master's, it was less so about trying to build up my skills, build up my knowledge. Oftentimes you could learn so much of this from just looking at the computer, but really it's about people. It's about networking. It's about understanding what these people did with their past and their lives and understanding how you can bring it to your field that you're looking to address in the future. And out of all places, CUNY School of Public Health is one of these places that is filled with an amazing amount of leaders that are very prominent in the national stage you might see out there. So uh, a big shout out to them. No, I completely agree with you. And uh, I, again, I, from personal experience, I was thinking about this about maybe four or five months ago when I was considering the entrepreneur's doctor and where I could fit in. And I was thinking, there's so many people getting into entrepreneurship. This is beyond health now. There's so many young people even not thinking about going to university. And one of them was a um, a very, he is a very successful entrepreneur here. And he posted something on LinkedIn. And first I asked him, are you okay if I just comment on this about, this is my perspective on things. And he was like, yeah, fair enough. Let's, let's get into it. And it wasn't supposed to be a debate and it didn't turn into a debate. Thank God. But, um, my take on it was when I was reflecting, yeah, there's a lot of these things that you can learn from existing public sources. And I think that's great. So long as you can appreciate what is good uh, information, what it's not so, maybe it's false information. So it's being a good critique of that. But personally, it's all the friendships, the networking, the, the collaborations. And without any of those, none of that would have happened. And do you need the university to do that? I think it's a great place because it's a safe place to, to get into those discussions and a great place to test out ideas before you get into the real world. But um, I'm curious, what happened to your startup? With our startup, it, that's a, it, it, we go through so many different journeys with our startups and you have to make a, a very, very, uh, thoughtful decisions about what you're going to be doing for the next five, 10 years of your life. And every single little step that you take uh, in an entrepreneurship endeavor, it, it might become another year that you're committing yourself to that actual startup. And so the way that for us, ultimately, we ended up shelving our startup because we realized that we reached a certain point where we weren't going to create the the financial sustainability and scalability that we want to see in order to make this uh, this actual intervention really, really effective 
without uh, grant support or without government support. Yeah. And so to run this on our own in a completely empowered way was not really there for us in our vision just yet. Now for us, when we, to, in order to actually come to that sort of conclusion takes a long, long time, <laughs> especially within a, when you're considering an intervention that is so innovative and hasn't been done before, it's such a large level. So for us, we had to do a ton of market research, had to develop partnerships, had to organize pilots, uh, had to organize research studies uh, in order to really prove not only to others and to investors out there that this is something that could work, we needed to prove it to ourselves. We needed to really say, uh, like, we need to be honest and say, okay, look, this is a really interesting, innovative idea that is sexy and it's going to bring people together and I know people want it but is it actually feasible? Is it something that people are actually going to buy and engage with in the end of the day? Much of what people say they'll do is not actually what they'll end up doing yeah. in the end. Yeah. So we ended up making a lot of progress uh, with this um, over a couple of years, bringing in a really necessary network to make it happen, such as uh, actual container providers, uh, distributors, logistics managers, uh, policy supporters, people in politics or, or people within the health department to make sure that your actual, your container will be able to be used within restaurants. And so, uh, however, we did not view our, our, in our progression uh, of this business as this being the right time for mm -hmm. this type of venture. Now, this was uh, just a few years ago, and now these, this type of venture, this type of organization is popping up a lot nowadays in many different types of creative ways. And so it's wonderful for me to see that, and it's also been wonderful for me to give out my expertise, give out my experience for those entrepreneurs out there and entrepreneurs that have been looking to really embark in this amazingly sustainable initiative that is very much needed. Nice. No, and we often don't hear about the stories of those who, for various reasons, I mean, you proactively made the decision to, to withdraw temporarily, I hope, maybe you'll, because it's a great mission that you had, um, or at least you're doing it, you're helping others to, to go on that mission. But we don't hear the stories about those who fail. We often hear the pitches, we hear the exciting things happening at events like the Solvathon. But uh, actually, we'll, we'll come on to that in a second because um, you actually do talk about the challenges as part of the Solvathon, but we'll come back to that. I think it'll be great learning. And I wonder if you do that at the City University of New York, so CUNY School of Pub, um, Health Policy, is it? I, tell me the correct name. Um, it's the CUNY getting... Graduate School of Health and Health Policy. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah. I, I, hope, I hope we can get more of these stories of the struggles and what went wrong and lessons learned from there. Uh, and they do that at business schools, but it's just publicly. Uh, that would be good to hear. Um, Alessandra, I'm, I'm now going to segue into what you're doing with Firefly Innovations. And uh, we'll be getting Professor Terry Huang, uh, who helped set this up uh, on the show soon. Um, but just your role. I mean, you're, I got to know you as head of growth and partnerships. And that's how our partnerships uh, between our two different uh, ventures are getting forging forces if you like uh, but I'm curious what what are you what are you actually trying to achieve and then how do you go about doing it and perhaps talking about Solvathon too 
Yeah, Firefly Innovations is really looking to address this problem that we've we've spoken about several times in this conversation now, which is about the sustainability and scalability of public health interventions. And public health interventions could be uh, publicly funded programs. They could be uh, health systems out there, healthcare services. They could be nonprofit programs or services out there as well, but they can also be businesses. And this is something that is often left out within the public health terminology, uh, the, the public health toolkit of different types of sort of uh, the tools or uh, solutions that we can use to address public health challenges. And this is something that, you know, over time, there's been many reasons for public health to stray away from corporate interests, from special interests that may not necessarily align with public health values. What we are seeing from the business world, especially over the past uh, couple of decades, is the growth of the social impact business world, social impact entrepreneurship. And this is a field within business that very much identifies with public health values. It is, they are both interested on improving health and well-being, improving clean water, uh, increasing vaccine uptake, uh, really improving social outcomes, uh, destroying gender norms uh, that we have seen just bring, uh, bring down so many different communities in the past. And so all of these different sorts of examples of different sorts of challenges are so complex and so interconnected and all very much public health based, but they all require different types of solutions for different types of communities. And we cannot restrict ourselves to only a few different ways of going about this. So what the CUNY School of Public Health is doing now becoming one of the first institutions of academia to integrate entrepreneurship and public health in education. So we're actually one of the first ones to offer a class in it, first of all, but we're also moving beyond that to offer venture building programs, to work with the public, actually bringing in the public health lens into the amazingly innovative entrepreneurship development and work that we're all seeing develop every day before our eyes. What we're just seeing out there is that they just need a little bit more of the public health values, more public health skill sets um, and mindsets to help support uh, the scalability of these amazing business-based solutions. I love it. No, I think, yeah, I think we're doing exactly, well, not exactly the same thing, but we're on the same path. And so anything we can, I can do to help you, you, you know that I'm there for you. Um, so how are you doing it though? That's, that's the question. So Solvathon is one event, which we, we, we had Chi Chi on, on the show recently, and that just went out, um, on air, if you like. And, uh, that was, she was one of the innovators that attended and participated, but so we've talked about what Solvathon is, but feel free to elaborate on that as, and share any other kinds of events that you run. Yeah. Firefly Innovations is running uh, several different types of innovation-based activities and programs to really cultivate an ecosystem of public health entrepreneurs and innovators. And those could be uh, people on the ground actually looking to develop organizations or businesses. It could be researchers within institutions. It could be investors looking to support those entrepreneurs. And so what we're looking to do is bring all of these folks together 
to help bring value to these types of communities, to help them drive forward their innovations. And all of these different players are necessary to bring into the same room. Now there's different ways that we can do that, so whether it's through smaller activities, smaller programs, one day programs, or longer, a couple months based programs. So the Solvathon uh, that we did in partnership with MIT Solve is focused on just a one day or a two day type of event that's highly interactive, that focuses on convergent and divergent and experimental thinking and uh, a really exciting, fun brainstorming uh, amongst a curated network of different groups that can certainly support each other uh, with a challenge that they're focusing on addressing. And this could include people from policy, could be doctors, it could be marketers, it could be storytellers. It's just uh, really important to bring in these different specialists who all have this common goal of addressing a same sort of public health challenge into the same room together. And then we also have an accelerator program, which is a two month, 10 week based program to help support the development of your public health focused venture. Now, what we do is really help bring the public health metrics aspect of how you're going to create an impact through your venture and doing that right in the beginning and then going into customer validation, going into how we can develop partnerships and then ultimately pitching it to a community where others will further connect with your venture uh, that is so important in, in today's setting. And so that's uh, our different types of programs that we have. Our upcoming one is going to be in April. That's another uh, solvathon, but it is going to be called a designathon, and it is focused on increasing prep uptake amongst communities uh, that are most susceptible to HIV. Now, this is a large issue that we're facing when it comes to HIV. Something that we're looking to actually eliminate uh, in New York entirely, which is one of the goals of our governor. And prep uptake is one of the ways to do that. But there are many, many challenges around the ecosystem to be able to address that specific challenge. Now, the Solvathon is one way to bring in all of these different key stakeholders together to help build upon the best solutions out there to help address this challenge. Alessandro, you, you said the this key word ecosystem, and I think that was one of the challenges to your startup. It's having the ecosystem ready to, to adopt and actually implement. And one thing I'll share before coming back to you, a um, couple of years ago when I moved to Wales here in the UK, uh, I came across a, in a it was the Car Cardiff, I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's the innovation um, group or team. I'm, yeah. Regardless, it's the, the thought that counts. So the Cardiff Health Innovation Hub or something. And essentially what this was, um, was kind of like a Shark Tank setup where you got someone pitching, but it's a different uh, outcome, which I loved. And they're still running these on a monthly basis, typically. So basically, you've got the entrepreneur or entrepreneur that wants to do something in the health sector, whether it's a device or digital, it doesn't matter, or just a way of working. And they could be anyone from internal to the organization or, or external, engineer, health, doctor, it doesn't matter. And when they come to pitch, it's still a, you know, a, a really tough pitch. 
But the people sitting around the room are just fantastic. So you've got everyone, someone like me from a public health perspective, you've got a, a lawyer, you've got patent attorney, you've got uh, the representatives of government, people basically from industry everywhere that can help you make this happen if it's a good enough uh, mission. And so when you're pitching, you're not pitching for a percent equity in what you're trying to achieve or any kind of investment in that respect. Actually, there's no financial investment. What you do get is part of partnerships. It's that facilitation of getting your idea piloted, adopted, and then out to market if it is something to, uh, for that risk. So I, if you could do anything like that, and if you're not doing it already, I mean, I'd love to see more of that really. Um, so coming back well, to- One of you, our goals, yeah, as, as a yeah. goal of Firefly Innovations, is not necessarily to just support different ventures to raise a certain amount of money uh, and to help them enter a, a certain amount of seed funding and such that you see so much in entrepreneurship nowadays. Yeah, yeah. The type of growth that we want to see from our ventures is based on helping people, helping save lives, helping reach people out there. And this requires a different set of values and metrics to really show the support, to really show the success of different organizations and ventures out there. So this requires a different mind, different requires a different mindset, but a specific mindset amongst an ecosystem of different stakeholders. So there may be ecosystems out there that is just focused on creating the next uh, Facebook or whatever is going to be the most profitable out there, but there are other ecosystems out there which we are part of that is focused on solely creating a social return on impact, not just a fi financial return on impact. And that's exactly. our mission. I'm, I'm glad you said that. And it's, again, it's the key word that you said there, it's not just the financial. So it's not an either or option. There's nothing stopping you from being very profitable and having a good public health social impact. But then it's what you do with the money too. And there's, again, if for me, I, I always hate whenever I've been treating patients, I don't want money to be on the table when it comes to the conversation. Similarly, when it comes to that. So although money is important, there's nothing wrong with making a profit and reinvesting that profit into the health system, into the social system and, and so on. So we've just got different values. That's, that's the bottom line. Um, I want to ask more about this ecosystem. So partly it's your vision, but it's also Firefly. So let me start with Firefly. What's the long-term vision in terms of building this ecosystem in, in New York City and perhaps elsewhere? The ultimate vision of Firefly Innovations is to really be a, a hub where entrepreneurs from all over the world can come together in our platform to be able to meet each other, to support exciting really public health focused solutions out there. And the way to do this is not only through our activities like the Solvathon and the Accelerator program, we need to become a fund in ourselves. Hmm. We need to be that fund that is going to bring in this ecosystem of stakeholders that is going to focus on the public health return on investment and not just the financial return on investment. Right. And so that is, and for us, you have to consider us a Rolodex of sorts of all of these different players out there that are interested in this. 
and I can tell you this is a Rolodex that is growing so much that uh, where we see ourselves in a few years is being the place uh, for public health innovation. And it doesn't necessarily have to just be entrepreneurship on its own. Uh, it could just be really focused on how we're going to really drive forward these solutions. So for one example out there, if you look at the WHO or the UN, they have amazing solutions that are coming through their organizations, through their networks. But what they always need to address are how these solutions are going to get investment ultimately. And the largest organizations of the world are still facing these types of issues. So we need more platforms like those to really fill in these gaps around the world. You can look at us for helping do that. Nice. And what a place to be in New York City. You've got the UN as well there. So there's all sorts of things. Um, okay, so how could anyone get involved? First of all, who would come and work with you apart from entrepreneurs and how can they get involved in your activities? Firefly Innovations, uh, a way for people to get involved with Firefly Innovations is through the Solvathon and through our accelerator program. And there's several ways to get involved with those types of programs, which is outside of just being an entrepreneur who has their interesting solution that they can apply to the events uh, with. You can also be a contributor to support those entrepreneurs. If you can, br can bring very valuable expertise from somebody who understands the innovation aspect of developing ventures, but also somebody who brings the public health values to help bring forward the right mindset and right mission for each one of these ventures. And another way to get involved is through speaking, uh, through judging of different ventures that are going to enter these programs and ultimately ones who will be uh, granted funds uh, down the road. And so these different ways to get involved are, are, um, are, are diverse, are really engaging, are actually very fun when you go to these types of events and is maybe the best way to network that I see out there nowadays. So instead of all of us getting into a virtual room together to be able to uh, just try, try to get to know each other uh, in, in, in through an event, through a, a, a webinar, what we're doing is specifically curating teams for you to be able to meet the people that you really need to know out there to drive forward your venture. But if you're also an investor out there, looking to support a venture out there, our platform is a place to go to as well. Nice. And I'm, I don't know if this is what you were planning uh, pre-COVID and everyone going on Zoom and, and Teams and everything else, but the fact that you are doing this international and the fact that someone like me could have joined from here in the UK and we had people at the Solvathon from all over the world, actually. So it's so much fun. And I can't, tell you how fruitful it's been for me personally let alone for i hope for, for those who actually um were the entrepreneurs and innovators in the group um i'm curious what's i'm going to segue now into you now individually alessandro and from all of these and okay we're not trying to pick favorites but from all of these startups or entrepreneurs that have come with certain ideas to to your event so far at firefly what are some either key features or one or two of the ideas that you're able to share that have, you know, been notable for you? Yeah, so I can uh, give you a couple of examples of this. And I think that it goes back to your point that 
some ventures are not necessarily successful right away. And it requires a lot of iteration for you to be able to find that right solution out there. However, there are problems that we need to address that we just don't know how to solve. And some of our ventures are trying to do that. Now to start out with one that is having a, 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 some, some troubles in really trying to narrow down their specific solution, but is really an amazing solution that we can all make the most out of is an actual interactive map where we can avoid hotspots of COVID or other infectious disease in real time. There aren't necessarily maps out there that we can just pull up that is going to show places that you should really avoid or places that you should be going to in real time. We have this through Google Maps, but it's not necessarily updated in the way that we need to see it uh, for us to take care of our health as well as we can, especially in a place like New York City. And so what one of our teams actually did was develop this heat map of where these infectious zones could be and where you need to really avoid. Now for you to start up on doing something like this, you need a lot of data. You need a lot of different research points. You need a lot of different partnerships to be able to aggregate all of this different information together. Now the guys developing this type of solution are a couple of coders that developed an interesting app that you can go into and start to input information and you could actually start to do it now. However, what we're seeing now is, is the city of New York actually looking to develop their own map as well. Now, what we're looking to do is how we can bring in the expertise of our team over to the city of New York, or how we could bring the expertise of the city New York to New York over to our team. And, and that's the value of a platform like ours. Mm -hmm. There are different people out there in the world that are focusing on the same exact solution, but they're all taking a different path. And so they all might have different insights that they need to share with each other in order to really address the challenge itself. And what's the beauty of public health is that we're often thinking outside of just the financial return. So partnerships and relationships are, are so bountiful within this type of network and this type of ecosystem that we have. Another venture that I'd like to share is a candlelit therapy, which is a mental health uh, app that is focused on different questionnaires, different types of uh, recommendations and solutions out there, specifically for women that are in uh, prepartum, partum or postpartum stages in their pregnancy. And, and amongst people of color, uh, they face far worse outcomes, uh, specifically in America, uh, when it comes to giving uh, birth uh, and when it comes to postpartum, prepartum, partum uh, outcomes. And so what we can do to develop systems and services to specifically support people of color and, and really orient the content out there to support people of color uh, is, is one step forward towards addressing one of the, the most devastating health outcomes that we have here in America right now, um, which is what the people of color are facing right now, especially mothers. And so this type of solution is not necessarily full-fledged and we're ready to go to market with it yet, 
but we are developing in terms of uh, beta launches, research, getting funding and taking it step by step to be able to find that right service, find that right product to address the challenge that really is, is not trending in the right direction right now. So we need people like our entrepreneurs who are connecting with many people out there outside of entrepreneurship as well to really develop the right solution for this type of problem. And so I could ask you so many questions, but I'll, I'll save that for now uh, about both of those concepts. But I, I, instead of the COVID one, I, I just ask one follow-up about that. And so I just finished recording a, a couple of a two-part series on preconception health and how, you know, when it comes to pregnancy, you know, there's a statistic, at least in the US and it's similar here in the UK, you got one in 10 uh, births that are preterm. Uh, which has a lot of complications and associated issues, not just early in life, but throughout the life of that child. But then it's just not preterm or miscarriage that we need to worry about. It's all sorts of health outcomes. And what you can do in pregnancy matters and th those first thousand days of life, which includes pregnancy up to the end of age two. But many of us are not really focusing on the opportunities in preconception, what we could be doing uh, even before conceiving. And what you find are that the focus of any startups in this field are the obvious. So fertility, helping you to get pregnant. And the other focus is on women only, but men are equally responsible uh, in terms of making sure there's a healthy pregnancy. Now, taking that back, that doesn't mean that there are no startups tackling things that are indirectly affecting this. They're just not paying attention to this health benefit. So basically anything you do as an adult, even earlier as a teenager and so on, can help you to be fit and well and ready to conceive a healthy baby. But there are certain tweaks that both men and women can do. And then the follow-up is, um, the added benefit really is that anything you do to help the health of your outcome, it's the best gift you can give your baby essentially. But it also impacts the health of them throughout. I mean, there's tremendous evidence in terms of health benefits well into their uh, older years as well. And sometimes evidence of even um, health benefits that go on into the next generation thereafter, so your grandkids. So I'm glad you're talking about that. Um, so I won't ask you uh, at this moment in time. So I would just ask the question of where can viewers or listeners find out more about these two startups perhaps? These two startups are part of the Firefly Innovations portfolio right now. And you can learn more about them on the Firefly Innovations website. And so if you were to go there and go to our accelerator program, find it there through our programs website that happened this past summer, you will see the list of different ventures that we worked with. Uh, nice. One of them was candlelit therapy uh, that we just mentioned right now. And the other one uh, is called Pixplore. Uh, it, that's the way it's listed on the website. However, they are going through many different sorts of evolutions. So right now their name is actually uh, going through a change. Uh, and of course, their model is going through a change, but we're very, very excited to see where they're going in the future. No, absolutely. And if you could, I mean, I'll post the link to Firefly Innovations, and then if there's anything specific, we'll, we'll post that under there as well. This is, I would love to just be a, uh, like a fly on the wall in, in these conversations, because I just love being part of these um, stories and, and development and seeing this journey. It is like growing, you know, raising a child in all honesty. I love it. So <laughs> coming back to you, Alessandro, again, where, where do you see, I, I asked you this before when we first got to know each other initially, um, and I could 
guess where I see you in the next 10 years, but I'd love to know where you see yourself in 10 years. In 10 years from now, I really see myself further growing this type of platform, this type of organization. And what's so necessary for these types of organizations that require so much social return and less of a financial return is the importance of having a team that is really functional, that is really going to be stabilized and is sustainable and will be there for a long time. So hopefully you're going to see me in 10 years as being here with Firefly Innovations here within the CUNY School of Public Health, looking to help drive forward this institution as being an entrepreneur and not necessarily looking to start up my own thing outside. Who knows? Never say never, right? Some of the ventures that we work with. Yeah. But really, this is one of the ways that I find uh, myself having the most uh, impact in my life. Great. No, I love it. And yeah, you've got the right personality and, and everything, you know, the skills, the strengths to do that. So um, what's your, so for me, I'm backing up. Um, for me, this has been an evolving process, just starting the Entrepreneur's Doctor a couple of months ago. And the initial conversation I had with you, you, you asked a question that, you know, it was like a little grenade, the time bomb that exploded a, a while later and, and getting feedback from everyone has been interesting. And obviously I, I purposefully decided to do this and I urge others to do the same, uh, depending on what you're trying to do, obviously, is to just start and build it and shape it as you go along with those in mind. So with the, 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 the customer, the patient, the whoever uh, in mind to help you create it along the way. And so something that's been um, a bit more clear is how and where I can help. And it's basically on my vision really. And when it comes to, so this is why I love what you're doing. So when it comes to any startups, any health uh, um, organ- businesses, not just startups, you know, there's three ways that I see they can help health and well-being in general. Um, and one of them is obviously with the things that they make, the products or services that they make. And when you and I are talking about public health entrepreneurship, it's, it's along those lines. It's developing a service to meet that need. But then there's two other pillars and they're obvious when you hear them, but, you know, it's just whether we actually take action on them. So I think the second one is the founder or the startup team themselves, the the co-founders, and how so much of your success is dependent on their health and well-being, their mindset, and how well they're going to run the, the, and lead the organization. But then the third pillar is how well, so we talk about corporate social responsibility, we talk about sustainable practices, but also how well we treat the team and and their health and well-being. And you you could debate this. I was having a conversation earlier uh, today, actually, Alessandro, about how you know getting into a startup and a traditional startup not necessarily a public health socially you know uh, minded um startup you kind of think you've got to go all in it's a hard job it's not going to be easy you've got to go all in and it takes a certain personality to, to do it and that has consequences right it's got we talked about it at solvathon it has mental health impact it has all sorts of other things and so Maybe is it just a, a harm that you should just accept that you, you may, you know, have these vulnerable characteristics that are really going to come out and show themselves. But I, I kind of refuse to accept that. I think we can still be, you know, work hard, go all in, be extra successful, be the type A's that we are and achieve. 
but yet look after our health and well-being along the way. I've seen it time and again where things fail because we're not looking after ourselves and our team. I don't know if you've got any uh, feedback on that generally before I ask you my final question. The health of the health and happiness of ventures and entrepreneurs out there is really important for the health and happiness of our society, especially in America, where it's so important to be an entrepreneur, to our our regulations, the way that our society is set up is is supportive of people to become entrepreneurs, small business entrepreneurs, especially. However, for you to create a, a scalable organization, something that is very grand, something that's very big, an Amazon, a Facebook out there that you're looking to see, it's something that is going to require a lot of time, it's going to require a lot of upfront investment that some people may not necessarily have and people may be putting the undue pressure and expectations onto themselves they don't necessarily need. And so, especially when it comes to addressing public health challenges, you feel like you have to save the world in some kind of way, but you really don't. All you have to do is save your own little world. If you're able to do that, then you can be able to provide value as you keep on growing. So just focus on what you have to do first, what you have to do to create an impact in the most accessible way and grow it from there and build a team from there that is going to trust you, that is going to want to work with you, that is going to actually want to be flexible with you, but because being an entrepreneurship, you're going to have to work in odd hours, odd times. But this is something that you know we can really hold ourselves to. We can regulate ourselves to. We can create times around this, structures around this, to make sure that we are not just going to put our own health and understanding of ourselves way last beyond the priorities of the company because really the success of the company is not going to come if you are not going to be presentable, if you're not going to be healthy, if you're not going to be happy, especially if your team is not. You know, the way that your team, the way that your team is going to be able to be healthy, happy and healthy is if you actually provide them responsibility as well. Mm. Often too much, the leader is taking on so much of the stress and the rest of the team is not. And the leader looks at the rest of the team as saying, oh, it's their fault when really it's the leader's fault, it's not really delegating and being clear enough about how to really distribute the power amongst the whole company. And sometimes that is because of equity. Sometimes that's just because of communication. Uh, and really it, it requires us to have the courage to give power to other people to be able to build up our organizations. Yeah. And that is definitely one way to be able to scale your organization but also look out for your own happiness and well-being. Because if that's not in place, then you won't have an organization at the end of the day. Alessandro, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope to have you back on the show at some point soon. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Beirut. I'm looking, looking forward to doing so much more with the entrepreneurs within our ecosystem. That's great. Thank you. Learn more at The Entrepreneur's Doctor www.entrepreneurs.doctor. Better health starts here.